0: and welcome to game brain a board game podcast with matthew robinson's gaming group i am your host tom donnelly matty is trying to fix up his farm under the evertree and raise two good little chip sweeps this is round five turn seven and i am joined once again by the game designer trey hello how you doing trey i'm doing good yeah happy to be here excellent we're happy to have you uh this week we're going to be reviewing the massive mat i can't i can't Overestimate this enough. The massive expansion. The supersized. Yes. To Food Chain Magnate, the ketchup expansion, and other ideas. As well, this round, we're going to be talking about our favorite things. And this week, the favorite thing is. Gamer psychology. Trey and I like to, to, to talk, uh, not infrequently, about uh, why why is this game good versus why is this game bad, and not from a mechanics perspective, but rather a player experience perspective. So we're going to dive into uh, why gamers game. Would, would you say that's, that's an accurate yeah. description of what we're going to be talking about? We'll, we'll, we will get there. Indeed, indeed. But first, let's start, as we always do, with game night. Game night. Nothing says January like werewolves. Uh, <laughs> the Tuesday's game night, we featured uh, Tokyo Metro, which we brought back out the Jordan Draper classic that we enjoyed. Yeah, how'd that happen? Uh, Jennifer wanted to play. Jennifer wanted to play it. Okay. Good. Jennifer wanted to play it. Well, she just got Skiiji Market. Okay. Which is the new Jordan Draper. Right. So I mean, she but we've had
1: some activity on our uh, Facebook page, kind of around that too. Yes. Yep.
0: Yes, we have. Yes, we have. She has it. Uh, she forgot to bring it on on Friday. Or okay. That might very well have been in the cards. But uh, yeah, she wanted to. She wanted to play that. I was happy to get it out. It's a great it's, game. It's a great game. It really is. It's really one of those fun games that's just it's. 10% different than every other game that's like it and because of that there's something really charming about it.
1: It's really elegant. Yeah, like it's it's smart, it's kind of simple but, you know, hard to hard to play. It is a, it is a great game. It is not a great game with Dimitri. <laughs> Please talk out of school. Just uh, this is it comes with a very nice cloth mat. Oh yeah. And then we, so we place a, you have a piece of plexi that we place on top of it. And there's actually a lot of kind of like intricate tracking you have to do (laughs) in the game with very small increments. And so if someone was to lean on the table Mm -hmm. in order to reach a certain action space or something, that entire map and board could slide a number of inches at any time. And how many, what would your over under be for the number of times that that happened during a game? for Dimitri? (laughs) Okay, here's some things you have to understand.
0: Dimitri is not the most spatially aware person that we know. If we were to make a bet every single night where everybody puts a hundred bucks in and if there's a drink spilled, whoever picked the right person, we wouldn't be able to have that game because... Everyone would take Dimitri. Most people would take Dimitri because it it just happened more often than not.
1: I'm probably the second most likely to spill a drink though, I would say.
0: You and uh, when Mike Kananak shows up, he's Mm -hmm. he's he's a Spilly
1: McSpillerton. So I don't want to beat up too too much on Dimitri. And also in this game, I blame myself but no, because I did not place Dimitri closer to the things he's going to want to touch.
0: I have noticed that Dimitri seems to always be positioned the farthest away from the resource pile which yes. is a very odd thing, considering you would want him to be closest. The other thing about Dimitri you have to understand is that he always wears shirts, jackets, whatever he's wearing. Yes. It has wizard sleeves. It has those it long, droopy... very stylish. Droopy, Something he got in New York. Oh, lots of times, lots of times, but they are just drooping all over the place. So as he's reaching for things, just vast vast swaths of the of the table are being just knocked aside, and, and we're always having to... You know, I'm not always. We but course, say this often with, enough, with love. With love. But we often have to reassemble the board after he has, he has, he has grabbed a thing. This,
1: this happens. Multiple, multiple times. This happens.
0: This happens. Uh, I'm going to say Great five game. times. It was three. Okay. But still.
1: All right. Like it, the first time we it happens, we blame Dimitri. <laughs> like by the third time I'm blaming. You got to blame yourself. I'm blaming myself. You got to blame yourself. Yeah. You got you gotta put them, put them to put him closer to the materials. Yes. So here's the question. Does every group... Have a Dimitri, or I think Dimitri is his own special, unique I listen, person. I bet you this
0: aspect of Dimitri, I bet you every group has. Sure, okay, but the some totally is not impossible. There's this. some, uh, no, no. This, there is no, uh, there, he is a very special. There's no like, other
1: podcast that has
0: no one is quite like him, Dimitri. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So we're lucky to have him, and we also played. Food chain magnate, which we are doing the review of today. That would be my. fifth so was or sixth, fifth or sixth play of that. And then on Friday we brought out Aura at Labora, Keyflower, and you guys even played a little bit of Teachu, you, didn't you?
1: Yep. We've, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we Do you like you two want to see why, why, why you want to qualify that? Just no, we did not uh, complete it, but we did uh, throw Demetria Bone and played two rounds of. Teach you. Were there four bombs in two rounds of play? That's yeah.
0: That's crazy. Yes, that's insane. How did Keyflower go? You played uh, a six-player Keyflower, which I, I love. I think that's a really good game at six.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it, I, I like. I have grown to like like and appreciate Keyflower a lot more over time. I didn't love it when I first played it. Mm. Uh, it is a little bit of a tough game to understand, but I went into this. Yeah. I was able to recall my previous plays in which Paul dominated. Yep. Paul plays a very aggressive style with this, that, because um, it can be a pretty brutal game. And so I, often, I, yeah. yeah. And so I channeled my inner Paul and did very well. And I think that's more like how the game is supposed to be played. Yeah. I sense. mean,
0: it is one of those games that the art of it, Makes it look like it's the village of the happy knights. Nice. It looks like a Richard. It looks like a Richard. It's Scary. Very
1: mixed art because I was noticing like on these. So the people don't know. Most of the game is played on these large hex yep. tiles, and the background art is kind of bucolic, pastoral, very, very and very pretty. But then the actual like iconography says prototype. Yes. You know, like it very has rough. Very kind of rough actual iconography that's, that's So a-
0: you have your little you everybody has their own little hut that they hide their pieces and things behind. And those huts, every single one of them is individual. Yeah, every lovingly single one designed. of them has got kind of like four or five pieces together that 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 put it together and it's they're gorgeous. But but it's one of those games that you look at it and you think, Oh, this is gonna be a nice little sweet game and it is just brutal. It is just a mean, 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 mean game. Mm-hmm. I think uh yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of a game that, that throws that much of a curveball at you that's that's way meaner than it looks.
1: Well, right, it can be deceptively mean because people may not even understand getting into it, like, the auction mechanics. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Paul understood, like, there's a lot of timing yes. involved in how you bid and, you know, both kind of, like, building up your meeple engine that happens in that game, but there's a certain amount of timing, which is, like, you hold a lot of things in reserve and... And then you kind of move in on the stuff that you want to late, leaving no options for other players. And so you can, yes. you can have invested heavily into something that you feel like you need only for it to be stolen well late in the turnaround when you can't do anything about it. It is a bidding game in which your
0: workers are actually your currency for bidding. Which is cool. Which is very cool. There are, there are three main colors of those workers. And when a person puts a color of a worker on a, next to a tile, they are saying, I am bidding on this tile. And the first person who does that, I am locking this in. this tile can only be bid on with blue workers yeah. or something along those lines. No, that's right. Which is very, very interesting. So what, what Trey's talking about is that you could literally hold back and try to snake a whole bunch of things by waiting until people have placed their their meeples out in various places. You have a store of meeples of those colors waiting to pounce, and then you outbid them by placing more meeples of that color on that space. And The game is designed so that you should, that a person should be able to take that meeple that they placed and move it to somewhere else. But if you do it late enough, there is nowhere else. Right, everything's kind of been
1: been taken. But I think this is part of the depth of the game. Yes. Is that you're often looking around at the other players and and trying to determine, like, who can beat me on this? You know, what do people have? And so I think that makes it very interactive. And then, like, another thing... That occurs to me now is like maybe this is a game that um, you know, it it doesn't have currency. The meeples Correct. are the currency in a sense. Like they're both your it's also kind of like it's worker placement, in which the the meeple can be your worker, but it's also a form of currency. It's a bidding. It's your bidding device as well can even, as you can worker. even trigger spaces. Sure. No, right. So like you're triggering spaces, and that's when the difference is like if you're triggering a your space out on the center of the map, you may not get that meeple back.
0: Correct. But if you that the people your, goes to whoever wins that whoever auction. wins
1: it, so there's an efficiency sometimes of doing an action that you are not going to win. It, it, um, it pops up in my mind like our recent play of like the changes that happened to Kalis. Yes, from Kalis the original to the current Kalis is that they used to have they used to have currency Correct. actual money as part of the game and now they don't. There's been a fusing of currency into workers as a single thing. And Keyflower kind that of Keflar, did, yeah. did,
0: did, did this already. You're right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, Listen, it's a, it's a very good game. Um, Richard Brees has done a lot of key games. This is the one. Key, no. There's key market. There's key this, key, key that. This is the one to play. This is, this is what is widely considered to be his masterpiece, and we certainly agree with that. It's a fantastic game. Um, Aura Labora, a, a, the reason I played it is because Elder and I are going to review it. That's going to be our, our next review. I said, Elder, we have all these new games. He's like, you know what? I kind of want to review Aura. And I said, Aura? Really? I remember playing it. Mm-hmm. I own it. Yep. I remembered enjoying it, but I also remembered, you know, it was it was during Peak Rosenberg. It's an Uwe <laughs> Rosenberg game. Peak Rosenberg. And, and yeah, during Peak Rosenberg, there's a lot of Rosenberg out there, right? Right. It, it was after Agricola. It was after Le Havre and then came this one. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing it and being like, yeah, it's good, but it's, it's sort of moving back to the Agricola-esque sort of themes. I mean, it's a lot of, Building buildings and uh, using resources and collecting resources and all that sort of stuff and clearing space, which, you know, is, is was like the expansion to Agricola. And I just felt that it, it was at that time I was like, yeah, you know what? This is this is a second tier Uwe
1: Rosenberg design. It felt uh, yeah, I, I kind of had a similar impression at the time of like this is different, but not necessarily better. Yeah, yeah. And so and I was I was pretty I was an agricola loyalist. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Well time.
0: you were you were a partisan. You were you were out there, you were <laughs> you were a man in the phone banks. Uh, the, the but true. here's the thing. So when Elder said, I want to play this. I want right. to review this, I'm like, really? He goes, Yeah. I said, Elder, is this your favorite Uber Rosenberg? And he's like, Oh yeah, by far. Oh yeah, he's big. Uh, rosenberg loyalist i'm like well he is he is but but this is his favorite of them Mm -hmm. over la half over 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 a lot of these things over over a feast for odin and so i was like that's a good review for me because Mm -hmm. going back to a game that i haven't played in a while is this something that i overlooked is this something that i missed and i have to say going back to it even for this just this one play uh it's a delight it really is it's It's a good game it's a really good game it's a it's a crazy good game first of all we got to put we played there's two sides you can play ireland or you can play france so the first conversation
1: listeners out there what side did tom play in aura labora france (laughs) or ireland all right i wasn't up to me it was up to the other three people. <laughs> they
0: literally had a discussion where they said, do we want Tom for the next three hours to be speaking with an obnoxious French accent yeah. or an obnoxious Irish accent? And they ended up deciding that because I'm Irish, I probably won't butcher the Irish accent as much as I would the French. I think they chose correctly. We played Ireland. We played the lovely lovely, the lovely Irish countryside, the, the monks, the monks in their monasteries. And had a blast. It was really, really a lot of fun. An interesting thing about the game, though, is is that um, it has some interesting mechanisms. Basically, after Agricola, he realized Uwe Rosenberg realized that worker placement by itself had a could have a punitive effect in a lot of ways. It, it had a lot of. Uh, stopping you from doing something right, and so he created this game where you 're putting <laughs> which some people like which some people like so this game was you buy a building, you build a building, and it goes into your tableau, and your workers can only access your buildings, which would seem like a step toward multiplayer solitaire and it kind of is a little bit in the in the sense that that you can access that, but you are buying from a common pool of buildings and so me taking that building means you can't have it and things like that but the more interesting thing is that there's a mechanism in the game where i can pay you a coin mm-hmm. or later in the game two coins once the whiskey distillery has been built and i can essentially force you to take one of your monks and put them on one of your empty buildings that i decide mm-hmm. so that i can take that action
1: right you're still ta- yeah you're still taking actions on other people's space it's very interesting right yeah. it, it it was a it was a
0: really elegant and interesting uh, solution to the to do something that dealt with player player on player aggression in a different way and uh, it was me elder scott and our friend bond and bond had a real problem with the game he oh, was yeah? really well because he was like...
1: It's have, a lot. It's a, it's, a t- it's not the easiest teach.
0: I would say... No, it wasn't that. He, he got the most of the game. The deal was is that halfway through the game, he had gotten something like 20 bucks paid to him because <laughs> everyone kept using his buildings. Right. Just constantly using his buildings. He felt used. He did. Well, especially when we started making jokes about what his monks were doing for the, for the <laughs> money constantly. Sure. And it came down to the point where he was like, he just stopped in the middle of the game. He's like, you know what? Every one of these stupid games that I play, I come here, I learn a new game, and every single one of them is just figure out what the best building is, what the building everybody wants is, and build that. And now finally, <laughs> right. I do that in this game, and I can never use them, because you jerks are paying me to... yeah, And you're right. taking my workers, you're using my workers, you're using the whole thing. And he felt he felt so used and abused and he was just like miserable for half of the game until you know it's an important learning moment for him though
1: it was it so was probably
0: you know taken a big step forward as a gamer i told him i said i said i think it's going to work out okay for you because money is huge in orin labora and by getting all of that money and by the way when your three workers are out you get them back so sometimes a person using one of your workers to put them out there is actually helpful to you right it it frees things up. Faster. I remember
1: that like uh, managing your workers, mm-hmm. and there's like one special, something like that, right? Yes,
0: yes, yes. There's, there's the, the 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 prior is the special guy. The only difference between the prior and the other guys is when you build a building, you can immediately put the prior on it to then right. activate that. So building. you're
1: like management of those workers is a really big part of that game, and you should be considering like other people like forcing you to place those as part of like what the things that you were considering in the decision space. And
0: uh, sometimes it's great to have somebody do Mm -hmm. that. Sometimes it's devastating. Right. It can be, it can be either. Uh, At the end of the game, Bond was sure that he was distant last, just, you know, just absolutely crushed. Turns out came in second. Came in second. Came in did did really well because when you added up all of the uh, reliquaries and the, the the little little, yeah, chips a lot that, of scoring. He had very little yep. on the board. Mm-hmm. He had tons in his storehouses essentially. Gotcha. And uh, and really crushed. And it was largely because of that money advantage that he had, that he carried throughout. Yeah, that's the- a
1: total point salad game too, though, right? Like, you, there's tons of like, there's map scoring. There's resource scoring. Like, there's tons of different ways to. I think, yeah,
0: it's not that point, mean, there's, there's like three main types. It's like you score the settlements, which scores all of the buildings that are adjacent to your settlements and the settlement itself. There are, every building also has points that it is worth in and of itself, just yeah. standing solo. And then the third thing is some of the resources in the game, the higher level resources, score points. So yeah, there's, there's three things. But, you know, within those resources, there's, you know, five different types of things that score points. So, and that says I, I didn't. I guess what I mean to say is that uh, Stefan Feld makes point salad games. He makes right. he makes games where there's like eighty yep. different ways yep. to score points, and you got to figure your way through that. This isn't quite that, but it's it's uh, for for Rosenberg. It's it's a little bit more. Uh, it has it has more avenues to pursue.
1: Yeah, maybe that's the wrong. Maybe I used the wrong word. There are a number of different venues for scoring points that actually reflect different strategies like you can have yes. a, a you can yes have score a ton of points on like on your board and how it's laid out yes versus oh i'm i'm actually collecting a lot of these things and then i've got multipliers for exactly. the things that i'm you know so like strategies emerge
0: yeah completely completely uh looking forward to uh, playing it again i want to get at least uh, you know I, I played it a ton years ago but i want to get at least one more play in before elder and i review it and i want to play france next time so cool we'll see how that goes uh, that's about that for that. Let's uh, let's just jump right into the news. Good
1: evening, Mr. Mr. all
0: and at let's go to press. Class. First up on game news, we got some statistics for 2019 on Kickstarter. Uh, if you had to, f- I, I, this is maddening how huge this is. The no, the amount of money that was pledged to successful Kickstarters for tabletop games. Now, that includes board games and RPGs. $176 million. Million. Million dollars went to Kickstarter for that. Video games, $16 million. That's it. Uh, it, it this is an article in Polygon that is talking about how huge it is. Uh, that's 6.8% higher than it was the previous year. Um, it's huge. There were 433 successful, uh, more successful campaigns than the previous year, for a total of 3,734 successful campaigns. That's that's insane. That also means that people are getting better at kickstarting things. They're figuring out, okay, what is a reasonable. Um, goal to to set for these games. What are you know? What does a good campaign look like? People, you know, there's fewer and fewer of the. You know, you still see them when you when you browse Kickstarter. Like, oh my god, what is this guy thinking? That that makes like who who would who would back this? Uh, there's fewer and fewer of those things. The biggest uh, Kickstarters of the year were Etherfields, Bloodborne, the board game, Trial by Trolley. Zombicide Second Edition, Reaper Miniatures, Bones, BattleTech. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of big things. Throw throw burritos in there though. Talked about that a little while ago, right?
1: So I mean, part of I'm sure there there could be industry people that could talk more about this, but we're seeing Kickstarter continue to evolve, and I think part of that expansion you're seeing is that a lot of the um, industry that you might have considered like more traditional, not indie at yeah. all is moving into Kickstarter.
0: yeah the, the number of traditional releases that are being done via kickstarter as opposed to just the traditional release yeah. method um is increasing there's
1: yeah like i think stronghold games has talked about this that they're going to be pairing back the number of games that they make and more of them are going to go through Kickstarter. the kickstarter process yeah now, i don't know if that's bad news for your you know brick and mortar game store But I think uh, I was listening to um, Steve Benicourt, right? Yeah. Talk about this, and he was talking about the diff, like, there's major problems in distribution in games right now, which Mm -hmm. is like a lot of times uh, it's very hard. Like, you go to your friendly local game store, you may have a lot, big trouble getting the games you want that we're talking about on this this podcast um like they're kind of these conventional distribution channels but one of the things that kickstarter does that's really good if you are a publisher is like you put a game out there on kickstarter and you are going to get a very accurate representation of the demand for that game interest in that game and demand for that game so that you like not only are you taking in money to you know actually get the thing out and get it directly to fans. And that's a higher percentage of every dollar going directly to the designer and publisher in this case. But it's also like it's invaluable information to the publisher, just in, in sense of like, we now know how many games to make because of our Kickstarter campaign like that's a six that is a the most accurate information they're going to get for knowing how successful something's going to be
0: so you're saying it's, it's market analysis essentially is yeah what it's, it's doing free beforehand.
1: market analysis or, a, or
0: well not even free subsidized yeah right? it, it works to,
1: both as marketing and market analysis and like and uh, i think his point was just like they can't afford to pass that up and it just allows them to be more accurate because like the thing that kills publishers is when they guess wrong yes like you can have five you know, profitable games wiped out by one unprofitable game in which they, you know, take made a, take a twenty thousand units. Sure, this is going to be huge. Sold yeah. Yeah. two, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, like that can wipe out your entire year. And so, like they have to avoid, they have to avoid that at, at all costs. And Kickstarter helps them dial into the the interest of something directly, and and then hopefully that then filters down to the friendly local game store when it comes to you know how many. Copies are going to be available through those mainstream distributors that are going to go out and disseminate through you know the hundreds of, of game stores throughout the country. So, that's like great. if you're looking at the list here, yeah, you're seeing exploding kittens, but you're also seeing Simon has two titles. There's on a lot this of min-
0: there's a lot of miniature games in here. That's for sure. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of sequel and branded uh, properties on here. So, I, but that's the biggest one. So the You know, my question always. I'm just saying,
1: I think that trend's going to continue. You're gonna I think see it will too. Bi- you're going
0: to see bigger players being involved in kickstarter so my question is is this is that one of the great things about kickstarter is that it has allowed it has allowed smaller great designers to get games out there and to reach a larger a larger public the more the traditional publishers are putting their games on Kickstarter it threatens possibly to drown out that to have the traffic sort of overtake that and all of a sudden you know these these smaller games that deserve more attention well, the, are getting the, the less the true
1: attention. unknowns are probably going to get squeezed a lot more right i think that might be so i mean the the Vito Lacerdas are not like they're going no, they're no. going to do they're going to do fine <laughs> and by the way it's not like we're saying this is uh i am certainly not what i'm saying that this is the big, the big trend. We're also seeing plenty of people move away from Kickstarter. You know, Tim Fowers doesn't do Kickstarters anymore. Jamie is Jamie Stanger used to be kind of like the expert on Kickstarter. Yeah. He's, you know, people going, to do that. Yeah, yeah right. Yep. And 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 for different reasons, I think with, with both of them. So it's not like this is one giant unifying trend, but we are seeing changes. Yeah,
0: I, yeah my, my worry actually is more on the RPG side. Because the indie RPGs are thriving on Kickstarter, it's been a huge Mm boon to them. Because it was a very, very hard thing to distribute to get people to know about your indie RPG, to get people to know what's going on with that.
1: You bypass all the gatekeepers. You go directly
0: to your audience. Yeah. Oh my goodness! With with PDF delivery, the the cost of developing and putting out a game is nothing. And what you were just saying about uh, you get a really good idea of how many copies to print. Of a indie RPG, that's massive. That is massive because when you go to a convention, you have no idea how many copies to bring, how many copies to sell, whether you sell out. If you've done Kickstarter already and you know this many PDFs were put out, you've got a really suddenly you've got a really good idea. And and for a, a small indie publisher, that's that's the world. That's the world. So. I do hope that on the RPG side that they don't get, uh, that the traditional RPG publishers don't, you know, don't drown the indie RPG community to an extent where Kickstarter no longer works for them as well as it has, because it's a really good thing. Moving on. Um, Next up, something, uh, there's a little kerfuffle about a game we don't love. uh, Secret Hitler has run into a little problem there is a the anti defamation commission
1: League. isn't it uh
0: commission Christian? because it's oh. in it's in australia it's an australian jewish group they're calling oh, on okay. Am- they're calling on amazon to stop selling secret hitler um they say they want the re- retailer to show respect to the survivors of the holocaust and they say using hitler as a part of the board game is whitewashing his in- in- cr- inhumane crimes uh, is highly dit- distasteful and it shows that still today many do not understand the inexpressible horrors of the holocaust um so we've we talked about this a little bit when we talked about uh, alexander fister we talked about maracaibo um, there are games that are going to push people's uh, buttons there are uh, historical periods there are issues that you know you would set a game in that you run into a real risk of well how do we do a game that is set during the age of colonization and not deal with slavery not deal with the subjugation of these people not deal with any of these things and by not dealing with them are we whitewashing them that was in the that was in Maracaibo we were talking about that right. when we talk about Puerto Rico the problem with the colonists uh, it, it's, it's I totally
1: is understand that, is, uh, is it the same thing though is the same you know is that the right comparison Maracaibo to secret Hitler I don't know I don't know what, what are your thoughts on it Nice um my thoughts are first, I think we would say uh, you don't don't play secret Hitler because there are better games that do the same thing that would be my first cop out yeah no we, we yes we
0: we listen uh, let's let's put it I think clearly. I'm the wrong
1: person to make the defense of a game that i don't <laughs> really like i I would point out that I think the game has some very interesting mechanisms that are designed to kind of recreate a liberal society succumbing to fascism and authoritarianism that are core core parts of the game so a a, a 2017 a t-
0: 2017 update of the game uh put out the images of uh donald trump mike pence and other members of the trump administration <laughs> as i'm the, offended by as that. those as those characters and the company website specifically says right on the right there it says don't think that the the don't think that there is anything funny or cool about fascism, that they wanted it to be a fun game to play, but they do want it to be a game in which the goal of the game is to root out and stop. Yeah, there's an inherent fascism.
1: criticism of fascism in the game. Yes. Which is not really the case if we look at a lot of like the old school World War II, you know, uh strategy games. No. No, nope. you know, like you could totally just play the Nazis. Yes, and you know, win, and there's no examination of you know what's going into that to that war effort. Whereas I think Secret Hitler is an explicit you know criticism of it in kind of a wicked you know smirky way. Which I think is where the problem comes in. For the for for the can you have a can you have a game that has Hitler in any part of it that is that has a fun tone, or
0: or at least is
1: is ostensibly
0: semi ahistorical, right? These people aren't attacking. Um, they aren't attacking Barbosa to Berlin. They're all, not. They're not attacking all uh, games a war game.
1: Deal in abstraction. To it's just a question of degree, right? I suppose.
0: I suppose. I think at the uh, listen at the end of the day, I am never going to tell anybody that you can't be you can't find this game objectionable. I don't think that's right. Whether or not it should rise to the point of a game being changed or being published, that's, that is is a different uh, metric altogether. We'll see what happens in Australia. We'll see if uh, Australian Amazon does anything about it. We'll see if the publisher does anything about it. Um, I, I kind of agree with you, Trey, that in, in this particular case, I don't think that the game is a, a, an endorsement or an encouragement whatsoever of the, that the game explicitly is anti is anti-fascist and is is creating that message even if it's doing it in a fun social deduction way right. i still think that that's the that's the ultimate message of of the game i would so, also say
1: like i kind of don't know and i'm um having you know seen this article mm-hmm. it made me think you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, like, is is it really okay to have kind of a yuck, yuck, we're all fascist type of game about such a serious topic? I don't know. And I don't feel like, you know, I can't be an authority and, and say, yes, this is okay. I don't, I just, I don't know. It made me think.
0: Well, we, we, we do, we do tend to play this game with our Jewish friends a lot. So maybe that's, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's not okay. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to move right on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, Arkwright. Arkwright is one of those games that uh, it was a uh, Stefan Risthaus created the game, and it was it was kind of a near miss for us. It was a really interesting game, very deep, very heavy. We felt eventually, after playing it several times, that there was a little bit of an imbalance
1: in. Paul felt like he broke it right. Like, you've, like you guys felt like a Paul. dominant... Tra- okay. We all, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, it Tom. wasn't... No, it Maybe wasn't you Paul. Bro- But it, it felt like there was a dominant strategy that had been identified by the group, right?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. And and we, we try as we might, we could not overcome that and beat it any other way. Um, so it's very happy to hear that they're coming out with Arkwright, the card game. Now, how you turn a game that is that heavy, that deep, and has that much going on into a card game, I reserve judgment. I don't know. Can you do it? If you can... I thought the theme was great. I thought the world that it that it was in.
1: You liked making cutlery?
0: I I liked early early mechanization and, you know, the the, the industrial revolution from the side of the factory uh, manufacturers. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that the market in the game was cool and interesting. I thought that the choices were were deep. If that if there wasn't a mechanism that was broken, or rather a, a strategy that was uh, that that was dominant, so I'm very very hopeful that Arkwright the card game, it, you know, if it could deliver a media experience that is two thirds as heavy and and twice as balanced as Arkwright. I would I would buy it and I would play it all the time all the time I would be a big big fan of that so well, we will see that is Arkwright uh, next up we got some interesting news we got um, dominant species uh, dominant species uh, Chad the designer of dominant species passed away this year but what we can say is that the, his most popular game, the biggest seller game that he's ever had, I believe, is Dominant Species. And he was working before he died on a marine version, Dominant Species Marine. So dealing in the, in the water and all of those uh, species. We just found out that it is in the final art process. It is... Um, What's this called? Dominant Species colon Marine. It is, uh, you know, uh, GMT Games uh, puts it out. They they do mostly uh, war games and 18xx uh, type games. Uh, they put out the original Dominant Species. This is the game that Chad was working on, uh, the the last big thing that he was he was doing. And the early art that we're seeing looks really nice. And listen, Dominant Species is another one of those games. It's one of those games that we like a lot of things about it, but we don't love the game and that's not all of us by the way jennifer it's one of her top five games of all time mm-hmm. so i really hope that this game comes out well i really hope that this game
1: um, yeah is I, I'm, what I'm we want to have a to be. high opinion of the game we just took issue with one particular thing and felt like it needed a, another pass yeah. on, on certain certain cards but there was a lot that was really uh, amazing kind of, about it yeah yeah Totally agree. Respect. Uh, lots of respect.
0: Lots that. of respect. Yeah. For, for us, it was uh, there was a take that element in in the game that we felt was, uh, was strangely um, punitive out of place. It, it created a meta. With a lot
1: of chance coming into it, too, yes. in terms of what flipped and
0: exactly kind of it created a it created a meta that that kind of sabotaged the game for us so hopefully dominant species marine might you know might just even even one or two tiny tweaks in terms of the way the game plays would completely ameliorate those concerns of ours so we're looking forward to checking because yeah,
1: that's kind of what we were asking for is like we wanted almost like a revision yeah, yeah. of of the game with some tweaks and like maybe this does that yeah I hope so. This is a good yeah. game. It's a good By the game.
0: way, we didn't ask anybody. We, we we asked ourselves. We said, "What what would what would make this game better for us?" But that's the that's the case. Uh, next up, interesting news from from my perspective. There is a game that I kind of love. Like you know, everybody when you when you have a decent size collection, you've been playing around for a while, you'll have a game that almost is great, and you kind of love it. For me, Maharaja is one of those games. Mm-hmm. Maharaja was a 2004 game. Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling. Um, you know, Wolfgang Kramer. What can you say about him? El Grande. Blah 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 blah. Um, Michael Kiesling uh, recently did Azul, and together they did Tikal. They did Mexica. They did Torres. They did a series of games that are all quite fantastic for their uh, for their time. I don't I don't think they aged the best, but they're still pretty great. Maharaja is getting a new release they're going to be cranial uh, creations is going to come out with a new edition sometime in 2020, uh, new graphics, new components, and other changes. I think this is a game that was close to being amazing, but not quite. So hopefully those other changes will address just a few things. The idea is fairly simple. There is a Maharaja that is going to move around to these various cities. He's going to take a look at what he sees, and everybody that has done things to make that city amazing is going to score points. You're going to score points by building palaces in these various places. The interesting thing about the game, or at least one of the interesting things about the game, is that everybody has a special role. And your special role gives you an advantage in one way or another. And each round, you can choose a different special role. Essentially, the turn order is uh, matters very much. So the people with the less great powers go early in the turn order and get an advantage that way. The people with the more special powers have some really game breaking powers, but they come later in the turn order. Uh, one of the most interesting things, though, is there is a track that shows where the Maharaja is going to go next and one of the actions you can take on your turn besides build a building or build a palace or collect money or do all of this sort of stuff one of the things you can do is you can monkey with that order so everybody can be building and building and building in this particular city because the maharaja is supposed to go there next and if the if a person times it right and does it right they can change the order and all of a sudden the Maharaja is not going there. The Maharaja is going over here, and it's going to be two more turns before the Maharaja gets to that place. Uh, a very interesting mechanic that created a lot of interesting choices. The problem I had with the game is that I- at the end of the day, it's a race game. It's the first person to blank number of uh, of he was either blank number of points or blank number of cities scored something along those lines uh, would win the game. And uh, there were, it created situations where a good early play could sometimes pretty much seal the game because there you could limp along at that point and people would have a hard time catching up with you. But uh, I really like that game. I hope very much that the new edition uh, comes out and uh, crushes it because it is one of those games that uh, Trey, what did you, what did you think
1: playing? You remember it, don't you? No, no, I was just looking it up here on BGG. I don't remember it at all in fact i was thinking of taj mahal in my head when you were describing it but it's well taj mahal
0: is set in the same place and the same period and it does have a maharaja that moves around but he doesn't change places
1: Um, so no i don't remember
0: playing this there there was also an uh, expansion or uh, i guess an optional character that you could add to the game and we found out that that character does not make the game better that character is actually kind of broken in a weird sort of way next up golem or Gollum, Golem it is Golem Coven Coven uh, Flamina Bresini, virginio Sheili, Simone Luciani, you know them, you love them, you had
1: me at Simone Luciani, right uh, frankly, like,
0: we could right now do a ranking of these Italian designers and just go through which ones they were on and which ones they weren 't on. I think this is the dream team. I think Flaminia, Brasini, Virginio, Gili, and Simone Luciani are you know about as good as it gets when you put them all together. These guys all did Grand Austria Hotel together, and now they're doing an engine building game called Golem, based on the 16th century legend of the Golem of Prague, an anthropomorphic creature that the Rabbi Lowe animated to uh, starting a uh, creating a clay statue that protected his people. We're going to play the role of cabalists who create and grow these powerful and magical creatures that will be moved around the main places of a magical prog under the control of their masters. But if a golem becomes too powerful, it'll destroy everything it encounters on its way. Interesting, right? The game plays over five rounds, and you're going to be able to take actions. My one worry about this is after having played Trismegistus right I wonder what we discovered in Trismegistus is that if the theme of the game uh is impenetrable if one does not understand why doing A means anything to B and how A to B to C work uh the the game can be can really become hard to understand and hard to get into um Kabbalistic sorcery could be in that same position we'll see but uh Certainly, it it looks really interesting. You know, there
1: are no right. Is this a, is this another theme that justifies some mechanics that don't really map onto any like narrative that we would normally understand? Like you have to come up with alchemy or sorcery a little bit. You know, maybe,
0: maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I would say this is the most fantasy game that they've ever done. It definitely seems more. It's you know spells. Obviously, we we're, we're going to play it. Interesting to see it we will play it the day it comes out if we can find it we will grab it there is no question that we'll be we'll be getting that but uh yeah uh, it's interesting they started off doing a lot of kind of more euro more traditional themes right lorenzo il magnifico oh you know italian renaissance you know yeah many, they really games screwed they, up right? with that one tons of those marco polo right <laughs> nothing atypical about that as as a theme grand Austria hotel running hotel it's all uh, that's
1: that's pretty there's not a whole lot of running hotel games
0: well but it is well i don't know you you think of container shipyard it's it's a it's a economic business thing where you're putting people in you're taking sure, people sure. out it's, it's it kind of f- fits within in that theme i i think that there's are starting... not exactly
1: trading in the mediterranean though of like
0: no over of the most... over
1: overdone <laughs> you know, uh, genre,
0: right. Or, or themes. flying dragon cities. Um, this is, <laughs> this is uh, a different theme and they have been doing different. Is that
1: themes. a blue moon city? Yes. Slim? Okay, moon what? Slim. okay. Yes.
0: Wow. Yes. I got, I got no time for it. <laughs> no time for it. And last but not least, just a, a little bit of fun. Um, there's something on Kickstarter that just warmed the cockles of my heart, and I have to share it with you guys. This is a role-playing game situation here. There was a game called Metamorphosis Alpha. It was sort of one of the first science fiction RPGs. It was a TSR uh, production that was
1: done. Oh, right. I'm looking at this art, and it's bringing back memories. Really,
0: really old school. Anyway, they've sort of redone it and re-released it, and what is up right now is a science fiction adventure for Metamorphosis Alpha called Doom on the Warden. And it is quite literally Tomb of Horrors in Space. If you remember that much beloved, widely considered the worst adventure ever written. What? It's horrible.
1: Well, what John Wick has done kind of a famous post about Yes, about Tomb of Horrors. It's so so horrible. <laughs> it's polarizing. It's horrible. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's not meant to be played.
0: No, it's it's just it's 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 a it's a uh, it is a it is a catalog of no-win scenarios piled one on top of the other on top of the other. Um so if you like that if you like OSR, Old School Renaissance, if you like old school gaming, yeah, maybe maybe this might be something to check out. At least read the Kickstarter. It's a fun fun read. Check it out and see what you think. Uh, Next up, we got games on the brain.
1: Games, games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains, oh baby. What's on your brain, Trey? Um, nothing new right now. Um, playing a lot of uh, through the ages. Sure, sure. Uh, online with uh, members of the podcast, Alfred and Matt mostly, and Paul and Paul. All all people who are who are not making it to the the table. Sure, these yeah, days, true. and I think um, maybe we'll swing back to uh, through the ages later when we get into the uh, uh, co host segment. Sure, sure, sure. Here, just because this this is a game that um, kind of tough to learn, mm-hmm. rewards multiple plays, but very kind of like uh deep and rewarding gameplay once you've invested uh a certain amount of time and I'd say like the, the four of us are at a point now where like we have a number of of reps and um starting to get good. I think <laughs> but like until we play other people we may just be in our own bubble.
0: Let's 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 define good as in comparison to the tourists we
1: usually are in this in this area. Maybe Maybe a bit, but uh I, I guess specifically I'm gonna look at it later in terms of like um games that we play a couple of times, and we're kind of like, "Oh, we're good, moving on, and then other games where you play it a couple of times and you're like, "Oh, there's a lot more here, and do I want to spend the time to um you know really get dig. under the skin and dig yeah. and kind of get good at it and I think the the verdict on through the ages is it's worth it, oh, yeah." And that said, like uh, I remember trying to learn through the ages uh, years ago, where someone was teaching me, and it felt fiddly as hell. Um, did that not... was the
0: first edition, which is very different.
1: Okay, sure, in some ways. But I like my. I had a, I had a very negative first experience mm-hmm. with uh, the game, and it took me a long time to actually kind of like come around. Mm-hmm. Part of it is the app. Takes care of a lot of things, but I, I think I actually considered Through the Ages to be one of the great overrated games for a long time, and I've I have revised my opinion on oh, cool. that. But it doesn't mean it's. I mean, it was up on the the top of the list for for a long time, and I kind of appreciate that now. It's certainly not for everyone. It takes a big investment. Yeah, that's kind of like that's where we that's where we are. But I also kind of suspect that we probably don't have lots more of these games left in us like we we're like at play 6 or 7 as a group and that might do it. Really? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Hmm. But that's 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 kind of what we're we'll be talking about in the the segment a little bit. Okay. Okay. Uh for me speaking
0: of games that are not for everyone and uh, are a little bit of investment, uh diplomacy has been it, it's come back. It's like every few weeks I'm like we have got to put together we have to put together a diplomacy game. Not for everybody. Right? Right? Yeah. There are, there are people on this podcast, that I'm not going to be inviting to the diplomacy game, but there are people that uh, you know who have already said that they don't want to be in, in in this sort of thing. Wait do I do I get invited to the diplomacy? Of course, you get invited to the diplomacy game. You are one of two. L.A. Champions of <laughs> diplomacy nonsense. That, no, it was back in the era where that wasn't nonsense. Mm-hmm. That was those okay. were that was in the era of seven a seven table tournament and things
1: means it means nothing. the The, the, the reason I am reluctant to play diplomacy is that I will take entirely too much time playing diplomacy. It is a bad choice of the use of my time because I will devote entirely too much time to writing the little letters and yeah but but really just for that first
0: week (laughs) and then it starts to trail off okay right i think it's gonna be okay i think it's gonna be. i'm in i'm in it's uh, it's probably a bad
1: decision but i'm in the fact that
0: alfred's out of of town yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. is out of town i think it's a great i think it's a great way to do that you know even even you know maddie can play with us too i think he'd do it so i'm gonna get that We're we're gonna get that going on So why are you thinking about it? Like, just because you want to get this set up? Yeah, I want to get it set up. And it's a game from 1959. And its elegance is confounding for that fact. Yeah, it is it's, from an era. It's in the
1: it's in the pantheon of great games that every gamer should play because once you play it, it's going to change the way you play other other yeah. games, and so it's an essential. Yeah, I, I think we need to. T-
0: I think we need to play it. I think we need to talk about it on the podcast. I yep. think we need to get people aware of that. And uh, it, it's also because you know we we talk every once in a while of doing some video content and you know getting establishing more of a presence on the geek. Um, there are some games that. I go to the geek and I look for video content to tell me more about the game or any kind of content to tell me more about the game. And every once in a while, I'll hit a game where, you know, most games, oh, yeah, I have here's four videos of how to play the game. Here's three videos of a playthrough and blah, blah, blah. It's like who, who needs to add anything more to that mix? On the other hand, there are still plenty of games out there that are surprisingly bereft of good com, uh, good content. For these games, diplomacy may be the tops. It it has very little. Stra- the strategy guides for diplomacy, when you go and look on strategy guides, they are from the late nineteen seventies.
1: Well, it was a magazine you could purchase in the hobby store. Because I had it.
0: Yes, it's yes. like a twenty
1: four page strategy guide or something yes. that I. I, I, and, read on the toilet many times,
0: and there have been, <laughs> and and there have been you know. But the thing is, is that it's a game that is played at the World Board Gaming Championships. It is a game that is played actively online all the time. So there's a ton of data, yeah, more recent than that. That is, you know, and it it's chess like. It really is. You're writing chess moves.
1: The mechanics are and so you're doing simple.
0: that. What I mean to say is that there is surprisingly little information out there about how the game has evolved over the last forty
1: years. The game is how is it has evolved? Yes, it has. How has it evolved? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I guess I'm speaking from ignorance here. Tom, no, no, no. how has the game evolved?
0: <laughs> well, um, uh, lots of the different powers are now thought of in a different way than they were back then. Like uh, Italy, for instance, is yep. is the classic problem in in diplomacy because Italy is often Had considered the lowest TV. win rate. Win rate yeah. Lowest win rate and lowest one of the lowest survival rates.
1: Right. And even then it was something like their overall score was lower than anything else, but they actually, I think they actually like did okay on winning, but it was very binary, right? Like you either were completely destroyed or you went on to win. I mean, not that's extreme, but like they had very polarizing results. That's Austria. That's Austria. Okay. That's, Austria. that's Austria.
0: Austria. Austria is Austria is win or die. That's pretty much. That's
1: pretty much it. <laughs> okay, right. Um, the steamroller once it gets going, but is often nipped in the bud.
0: Yeah, yeah. Back in back in the seventies, you know, you read those guides, and it's talking about the Lepanto opening, which I'm not going to get into the whole thing. <laughs> but I but know what you mean. Yes. Exactly. I know the. You Lepanto know exactly opening. what the. It is literally like like talking about in chess. You know the Capabara advance or this or so that sure. the other thing. Uh, this is, is this is an opening that was widely considered to be the best move for uh, for Italy. Well. People have been crunch, crunching some numbers, and they're saying, no, not so much. That's not really the way to go. There are two other strategies that seem to go better for them. There's um, – it's allying – now the talk is not allying with the person next to you, but allying with one of the people that they might be fighting and, and how to best leverage that. Um, Russia – has four units. One is stuck in the north, one is stuck in the south. Do you move three, you, three of your units against the south and leave one in the north? Do you move three of your units to the north and keep one in the south? Or do you octopus, in which case you go one and one? It used to be thought that octopus was a bad move, that it was best to con- concentrate your forces And later on, pivot and build up in the the second theater of operation. Uh, Stats seem to show in in the modern era that uh, Octopus is a a better and better strategy and maybe the best strategy that you could do, uh, depending on various situations. They're getting very highly situational I would love we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna we'll do a whole we'll the do thing, a whole thing about this
1: I, if, in my understanding of diplomacy from that period was like it's important to know exactly the things you're talking about when playing the game yes that said mm-hmm. in a game typically the social interactions, make all of that other stuff like you it's important to Secondary, know it, yes. but all that other stuff becomes like you're talking you're looking at like getting little edges. Well, Out of, because the mechanics are so simple. You still kind of win or lose the game on the social level. Now you can fall down with bad tactics and strategy, yes.
0: I would say this. I would say that for a person who's playing this game for the first time, you need that strategy guide. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, what am I even doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I do with these pieces? Where where do I go? Yeah, and to, it's like trying and to, to play see, chess without learning a few opens. That's you right. Know, yeah, these are to...
0: these are three or four great opening moves for you. This opening move means that you're aligning with Turkey. This opening move means you're aligning with France. This opening move means you're aligning with Germany. Right? It's it's that kind of thing. And without that, you know, listen, it's still going to be talking to people and seeing what is uh, what is what, but. Without that, without some basis to give you an idea of what is possible, what is likely, um, you're really at a loss in those first rounds. And those first rounds are, are key in the game. Anyway,
1: let's make it happen, Tom.
0: We're going to make it happen. Update on the APA challenge: Food Chain Magnate again. We uh, we're either done with Splatter, or we're close to done with Splatter. We just absolutely, absolutely we cheated on it. Splatter
1: to, to widen it out to all Splatters. Was it?
0: It was a cheat. Well, the game was Food Chain Magnate, wasn't it? Was it?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: That's what it originally was. All right. So yeah. So good. So we're good. Good. We did it. We did it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to the group-specific segments. Trey uh, Trey seems to prefer doing the group-specific segments and then doing the I just review.
1: think our, our discussion of uh, Food Chain Magnate ketchup expansion will benefit from some of the stuff I'm going to talk about. Let's here. get into it. Let's talk about why gamers game, Trey. Wait, we don't have a, a custom piece of music to To play for the... uh, For the the, group member specific segment? I think this is an opportunity out there. Group member specific segment! We need something, clearly, there. All right, so um, what I want to talk about generally is maybe... This is a criticism, a little bit of our own podcast and our own gaming group here, or some things that I, the games, the things that have been on my brain is some of the tensions I feel like we've been feeling in the group and as a podcast. Like we've been feeling a lot of uh, like pressure, like we're doing this podcast every week. Yep. We got to do a new review every week. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of forcing us to be dabblers. Or you yeah. know, like we're 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 consuming games. We're having to l- learn them quickly, and I think I've expressed sometimes that uh, I have a certain amount of discomfort in like us reviewing games with just a couple of plays, right? Like we yeah. do, we try not to. We try, and, we, we try mostly, not to. But I'm don't. just saying, like that's a that's a tension. Yes, uh, I I would say, and like we're, and we're like we have to play a number of things, but I I'm I'm not saying this says like what we're doing is a bad thing. I'm just kind of like identifying it because I think we have. Both the, um, you know, the like people, I'm assuming people listening to this podcast, like you want to hear about new games because you're trying to decide what should you play, what's worth playing. You know, that's part of what we're, you know, doing here in the podcast. And then we also have like the eight by eight challenge thing, which is, hey, so that we stop just dabbling and try this, try this, try this, try this. Let's really get under the skin of some games.
0: We're trying to add both width and breadth.
1: Okay. Yes, sure. Let, let's, call it, let's call it that for right now. But, but we recognize that there is, like we identified some games in the 8x8 challenge that it's like, okay, here's some stuff that we think is worthwhile really spending some time with this game. Yeah. Let's get the reps. There's there's some there there. Yeah. Um, And that our increasing understanding of the game is going to be rewarded. Yeah. Right? Uh, listen, I, I, I think that from season to season,
0: uh, we're we're in post-Essen still. Mm-hmm. And post-Essen, there's just so many new things to to play. But I think going forward for this podcast, ideally, I would say that of the eight episodes in a round, I would say it'd be nice if at least a third of those episodes are games that we have played a lot of that we're going to review that are from maybe several years ago, maybe games that you don't know about, or maybe games that you, you know, overlooked or things like that. Right. And in that way, like in La- Orr it's, Orr great, in right. it's
1: great that we're going back to or and labor. I think that's fantastic.
0: Right. We, we did old school, almost all the games were, were like that. I, I think that that has a place in, in this as well. And to some degree, that is going to alleviate that, that feeling, which I totally agree with. I totally have that, uh, you know, there, there, it does become a little bit of a grind of, oh, I got to play the new game. I, I look at games on the shelf longingly and I'm like, oh, you know, look at my On Mars right there. I've, you know, played it a bunch before the review. And after that, I haven't played it once since then because there's always the next game that I have to play for the, mm-hmm. next, for the, for the next
1: review. And, and I, I do feel that. But, but in your mind, you're saying like, oh, there's still plenty of depths to plumb. Oh my goodness. In On Mars. Holy cow. And, that's, and that, I think that's maybe something that we're kind of doing in our reviews is identifying sometimes, uh, you know, here's a game you really want to spend some time with. Yes. right and like yes. and that's maybe you know i think that's where we're probably gonna end up on food chain Magnate is like this is a game you kind of have to oh yeah <laughs> you, you're either in or out <laughs> on, on on food chain Magnate. so to kind of i thought you know let's look a little bit at like why why gamers game and provide a little bit of of context for um this is not a like why do people play games but rather like the people, you know, the people in our group, but also probably if you're listening here, you are playing a lot of board games, and and why why do we play certain games a couple of times, and other games we want to go deeper into it. Got it. So I'm I'm remembering, you know, Jesse last week was talking about immersion. Mm-hmm. He's previously talked about flow. Yep. Um, these are academic terms. Sure. Uh, there's actually big disagreements about whether like there are specific definitions for this in an academic context or whether they kind of are all really the same loosey thing. loosey Goosey. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, there's the Nick Yee study and there's the Richard Ryan, you know, study and and they have very different
1: words for for things, right? Right. And academics love arguing over this stuff anyways. Yes. I think that the the thing I'm going to point to here that I think is helpful in maybe um Understanding what I'm trying to kind of uh, wrestle with here is actually the work of Mihai uh, Csikszentmihalyi, Mihai, right? Did I say that right? Mihaly. Yes. So this is flow theory. So if you guys Google, you know, flow theory games, you're going to come up with. Uh, I thought it was Csikszentmihalyi. but it's Chicks Mihai, Mihai very difficult to we don't know how, if it's pronounced so that the way university but that's the university of that's the way it's chicago spelled. i think originally hungarian maybe uh, professor in psychology and the big question he originally was looking at is kind of like what makes us happy like that's how he got to flow was like what makes us what makes us happy and so you're probably familiar with the whole idea of you know um, more money does not make you happy like if you can get to a, a certain basic level of you're not stressing over your survival. I
0: think it was somewhere around 90,000 or a hundred thousand dollars a year or something or like less. that was Actually, depending on part of the 70. world. Yeah. But just like,
1: you know, people like the idea that you're going to get a better car, a better house, and that's going to make you happy. Like this is just, it's not, the data does not back that at all. And I think he eventually got to, you know, what does make us happy. It's not money. It's in fact a mental state. And so that's where he started getting into, well, so what is this mental state in which we are happy? And that eventually gets you to flow. So I think you can look at like we're going to talk about flow in terms of what you experience while doing uh, a game. But it also could be like what's rewarding in your work. Right. Okay, like how, how are you working? You know, like you, like Jesse can be talking about flow and being in the zone, and like you could see that context in when it comes to sports. I think you know, like you're sure. a screenwriter. You probably know that you get your best work done when you're in this period of high concentration, where you kind of lose track of time.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, almost no matter what job you have, there are times when, oh, you know what, that was really fun, mm-hmm. right? I go to a, a concert with a bunch of friends. That was really fun. Well, what? You know, fun does not fun and games do not have to go together. Sometimes they're they're separate experiences. But lots of times, what makes something fun has similar attributes to
1: the same thing that makes us makes fun fun in games, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I mean that's what he was, his kind of answer was like. What makes us happy? And he would identify like the happiest things are when we are in these moments of flow. So, for example, or just a, by contrast, think about what your mental state is while you are watching TV or browsing social media. Mm. Okay. You are, you're not in a period of high concentration. Beta state. You're, you know, you're, it's not high engagement. You know, there's, that stuff's not ultimately going to make you happy, right? Because you're, you're fairly passive. It's not asking a lot of you. It's not requiring deep, deep concentration. You're kind of, you're in a state of apathy. And I, and, and so let's talk about, um, Like the core chart here is what does it mean to be in flow?
0: Trey is showing me a chart right now that on the uh, x-axis, the one that goes goes left and right, it is skills going from low skill to high skill. And the y-axis, the one going up and down, is uh, challenges going from low to high. The flow is that diagonal line right in the middle that's the flow channel in other words when the level of challenge is roughly approximate to the level of skill so as you're getting higher and higher skill you're getting higher and higher challenges if the challenge gets too high and the skill is too low you leave flow and you enter anxiety if instead your skill gets higher but the challenge stays low you hit boredom which I think is absolutely true. I mean, when you look at video game design, that's what leveling up is. That's what the higher and higher levels, that's what, what all video game design is, is to create that flow channel,
1: right? Absolutely. So part of what we're doing when we play games and, like, and have a good game experience, whether it's video games or board games, is hopefully on a, in, a, in a good game, we're in this state of flow as our skill progresses, as mm-hmm. our understanding of the game, as we grok more pieces and we d- deeper engage with the game. And maybe that's even, you know, some parts of the game are simpler at the beginning and grow in complexity as we, as we play it. Like a good game, we're able to kind of stay in that flow state. Um, which is uh, just... I don't know if this is an aside. I don't want to
0: sidetrack you, but it's interesting to me that when you play a video game, the beginning levels are generally very, very easy, and they're kind of tutorials and teaching you how to play the game. And as you play the game and get better and better at the game, then the game gets harder and harder. Board games don't do that. Board games are as hard uh, the very first time... It depends. It depends, but to some decent extent... A game does not radically change its difficulty. Uh, you know, like, over the course of a game, maybe, but the Games the often rules... start
1: in a fairly simple state, and then they're going to grow in complexity as you play them. So that's not the same thing as, like, the teach. That's correct. Right, like, the... The, the, the number so, but, of but things the, that the, you need to understand in the, to you're play. absolutely in the right space here, because, yes. you know, like, what happens when we sit down to play a game and we have to throw a ton of rules at people yep. before they even start playing anxiety that's anxiety right like we've all we've all experienced low skill
0: and i've been hit by a huge challenge before i'm ready to yeah and like for
1: example i'm i still have not played on mars i have anxiety about on mars 18xx definitely like that feels overwhelming twilight struggle
0: yes yes all all of those because those are uh, and you've stated it this way you've said to me that it, it takes it's going to take a large amount of work to get decent at it right and i don't know if i want to spend that amount of work to do that that's right i i think that's 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 a
1: calculation
0: that totally makes sense within you know within you're you're on the anxiety side of of flow and your your future casting how long is it going to take
1: you to get to flow and do i really want to do that that's awesome right and and different games are are like I think, like all the games you talked about, though, look, like, you're confident that as my skill and knowledge of the game increases, I'm gonna, like, the challenge is kind of like worth it, right? This is the, the, the juice is worth I, the squeeze. I keep,
0: I keep telling you, Twilight Struggle and 18XX, it is definitely worth it. But, Got it.
1: But, but, yeah. but, but, I, but, it's like you but said, it's your like, choice. Well, but it's also like, it's a time investment. It's a mental bandwidth investment. Very much so. And, um, so it's just like, where am I gonna put it? A lot of times, or like that's yeah, that's that's the way I think about it. That said, when it comes to gamers, mm-hmm. I think that gamers, for example, were probably a little bit more comfortable with this anxiety, right? The, you know what, like the, heavy, the
0: heavier the, the the heavier the gamer, the more they can sit in that space of anxiety, waiting for flow to catch up with them, right?
1: Right. Like I think it's also that we've played a lot of games and so it just may not be as intimidating. Like you're confident, you're a, you're confident it's going to happen. But also like when we sit down to play a game now internally, we're thinking, oh, well, this is kind of like this and this is kind of like that. So we're grokking it quicker. Yeah. But for a lot of people, non-gamers or people that you throw into a game that they're not ready for, that's going to be a, that's going to be an unpleasant I, I would, yeah. I mean, I even, I even take
0: issue with the word anxiety to some degree because for some people, it just immediately goes to overwhelm. Yeah, which is maybe maybe a nuance of anxiety, but I think it's 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 more specific. Than but it's that. certainly it's just, not.
1: It's not fun. No, it's not flow, and it's, no. and it's and it's and it's not, and it's not fun. Um, so kind of the kind of the chase. I think so. We're looking at maybe the, the the two things we were talking about of like the the why gamers play games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tension between like the eight by eight challenge versus the gotta play the new thing, want to play the new thing. Mm-hmm. If we're always, you know, starting new games and we're kind of starting from zero yep. on both axes, we're starting with low skill uh, and and kind of like low challenges. We're learning something though. I would say like part of the appeal of of learning new games is like that's that's really fun. Like when we're kind of like in this lower left part of the grid and we're learning new games like that's really rewarding uh for some people
0: yeah for some people they they they, they like learning new things like like many and i for and sure. The, the classic
1: example right
0: many and i for sure love to learn like like i we get enjoyment just reading rule books yep period mm-hmm. i i don't know if i'm ever gonna play this game just reading the rule book and trying to figure out how these mechanisms work together is fun
1: yes and i'm and i'm, yeah. and I'm saying like yes that is fun and that is that is absolutely this playing out on the on the flow chart here or the, the, the flow yeah. <laughs> theory, but it's it you're kind of in this you know starting portion yeah of the thing and yeah. it's harder to get up here and the, I think the other thing is is like some games you're not gonna be able to get to the upper right because they're not good enough right like you're gonna discover that there's a dominant strategy and so oh, it's so, not worth exploring so what
0: you're or, saying is is as your skill gets higher and higher in the game if the game is not deep enough or well enough designed, the bored. challenge the challenge won't go high enough for it, and you're gonna fall into you're gonna fall into boredom essentially. Yeah. And I don't so. want to
1: play it again. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Right, and so like part of this is identifying like which like not all games will even allow you to get to this high, you know, the, to the you know the, the high top, skill, the top right and corner, high challenge, high skill, high challenge. Yeah, uh, like That's probably like our deepest, you know games and they may be and i think the problem maybe with some of the games we've identified is like it's a rough start like you <laughs> sometimes yeah. it can be a rough start to get to the games that actually are warranting the, you know that that deeper level of flow and i know i you know not that i'm saying this this is right or wrong but i definitely feel the need a lot of time to like i want to sample stuff but i also like want to like i've decided certain games are worth studying deeply and i'm going to spend a lot of time there um yeah. And so we, we kind of want to get to those. Holy cow. Yeah. So some of the implications of this, I would say is, so the core idea behind flow here is like, you need a challenge that is commensurate with your level of skill of the thing. Yes. So th- I think that has some implications in terms of your game group. Also, like you need people that are going to challenge you. Like it's like, like it or not, it's not going to work if you have somebody in your game group who never wins and it's not competitive. Like that's going to, that's going to be a problem over time right like yes. you can handle that for a certain amount of things but generally like we're not it's not enjoyable to anybody if someone like we yeah, part yeah, of yeah. the thing that we're having fun with is that it's a challenge playing with everybody else at at the table agreed um yeah. do you want to engage with uh ah, sorry skipping ahead so okay. some of this is uh segueing to Rafe Costner Who wrote Theory of Fun? It's a book. I think I've referenced it before. Highly recommend people reading it. It's going to talk about some of the stuff here, but one of the things he says, and this chart kind of proves it, is like the destiny of games is to become boring, not to be fun. Like it's impossible for a game to be fun infinitely. It's just how much time you spend with it. So, like, so I, like, just think I mean this is why like chess is something you can play for a lifetime as long as it can, can continue to challenge you, but there's so few of us that can do that. I'm not one of them right you know um it's either gonna become you're gonna for a lot of people like you're gonna reach a point where you're like, oh, there's just so many people better than me and it's anxiety and I can't get there and and so you know, like you're gonna get kind of knocked knocked off the track but this is actually actually okay. what he's
0: saying that is that the the higher you get, on the skill, the, the more narrow, the, uh, the, the flow channel
1: essentially. No, I, don't is think that's what, I think what he's saying is actually that this is the, the, the game, your experience with a game has a natural life cycle and we are all going to get to we're, it, it's just the case that like generally we're going to get to a point with every game we play where it's going to end, right? Like it's either going to be, this isn't worth our time anymore. I've mastered so much or it's like I've mastered so much. It doesn't offer anything anymore. Like maybe if, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I understand
0: the point, but I I think there's a, there's a lot of games that I look at that. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm probably going to want to play this game for the rest of my life. Not every day, not every week, but this is a game that, that that maybe you you just, you just
1: haven't reached the end of the road. Maybe on that. Maybe this is better in video games. You're not pulling, you're not pulling video, games. video games. I mean, sometimes people pull it out, and it's nice to revisit stuff, but that's, uh, I think that would fall into the relaxation part of the kind of mood graph. It's like sometimes well, it's fun to visit old territory. What you're saying is, is, like, this game is strategically deep. If I pull it out with the right players, it's always going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, okay, so Nick Yee did a study that said that uh, fun in games uh, comes from three motivations, right? Motivation for achievement, motivation for social connection, Mm -hmm. and motivation for immersion, right? So, what you're talking about in the theory of fun has a lot to do with achievement, right? That's really what flow is is about. Exactly. It's advancing in the game, having an interest in the rules and systems of that game, and competing, right? Those are the three parts of that, right? But the social motivation for fun in games is forming connections. Chatting and helping others and being part of a group effort sometimes, and even the, the part of the group effort doesn't mean it has to be cooperative.
1: Right. Right. But, but that's not flow. That's something else.
0: It is. It is. I'm just saying. But but this is still part of this is this, this is this is part of some some theories on what makes games fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there are that there is more than than just the achievement part of it than than the, the matrix part of it. So I guess what I'm saying is is that in a board game. As opposed to a video game, video games may have right. much uh, um, a much shorter shelf life. Yeah, this the than a board game yeah. because the social aspect, the
1: multiplayer a- aspect, changes things dramatically.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying.
1: Let me simplify it this way: when when you've grokked a game, yep, it's time to move on. And what you're saying is like there are games that you have not fully grokked, and some of them maybe not completely grockable. I think one of the things about splatters is that they Remain elusive in terms of their lessons. You like there's plenty of times I played a splatter and I feel like, oh okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, and I play it again and I play worse. <laughs> and like that's in a sense like that's great. You know, like the yeah. the, the, the there's a there's a often like a weird jujitsu to that's to splatters that
0: are I grok demarker my favorite game of all time. I grok it really really well. I can I can explain the intricacies of that. Am I going to win the next time I play it? No idea. There's just so many. There's so many different variables. There's so many different things that can happen. I know I can play a great game of that, but it is still down to my fellow players, and really, it comes down to the social a lot, right? It's it's who am I able to form alliances with? Who is who is who is attacking this particular state election? Okay, well, maybe let me make
1: thing? this distinction because I'm not saying you're not having fun if you play out if you if you pull sure. out Demacher now. But I think um, there's a, I, th- I think you, what you would be experiencing there is probably closer to relaxation in that you're, you're very comfortable with the mechanics. You're happy to do this. It's a social experience. And that's maybe a little bit different than flow. And I'm going to point towards like what I saw going on in your brain with regards to Food Chain Magnate recently, which is like, you're thinking about that game all the time. All the time. And you were thinking about there are different strategies I can pursue here. There's a lot of them. They're all interesting, and you're getting, uh, you're devoting a lot of mental energy and focus towards exploring them, both in terms of when you're sitting down and playing the game, but even when you're away from the game. And i sure. and I would say that that is. A form of flow sure and i don't think you're experiencing that to the same degree when it comes to demacher now which is an excellent game but i don't think that you are it's not it's not making your wheels spin the way that uh food chain Magnate is right now
0: i would say this i would say that uh, when it comes time to bring out demacher again which generally i you know it's a long game it's a very involved thing so generally i have to announce it you have to say okay guys in two weeks we're gonna play demacher let me know if you're in those two weeks, I'm going to be thinking about it nonstop, all over again. But it's not, you know, it's it's sort of out of mind a little bit. It's sort of on my mental shelf mm-hmm. a, a little bit. But you're absolutely right that that food chain magnate is completely. Uh, I'm in a I'm in a flow state for it now. I have right. been for for weeks,
1: and this is going to be temporary. Yes, it's going to end.
0: Well, it's it's going to abate. Right. But it could be renewed easily the moment that the next time we 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 bring it out.
1: So just maybe as, as a final thing here, like sure. think about something that like Paul says this all the time. I'm exploring the space. Yes. There's Sometimes you're exploring the space when you're learning something. And then more common with, with I think, with Paul is that um, maybe he's fighting off boredom. You know, like you may think you have identified a a dominant strategy here and now you're you're starting to suspect that this game may not offer as much to you so you're going to explore i'm going to explore the space i'm going to go a a different route Mm -hmm. like i'm just saying like that's generally when you find yourself thinking that way about a game your time with that game may be coming to an end interesting maybe yeah, I I could see that, um, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. Like our times with each ga- with games do come to an end. Whether it's it goes on the shelf and it just never comes back on, and all your good intentions don't pull it back off again. But I'm just like this is our natural cycle. You can't be deeply engaged on 200 games at once, anyway.
0: No, not at once. I I, I guess I guess the end is the issue is the issue I have. It, the end has a finality to it, whereas...
1: If you are no longer learning anything about the game, your time with it is done.
0: Okay. yeah, so that, that, that would be what I would say. I would say almost all the games in my collection, the reason I still have them in my collection and haven't sold them off yeah. is because I think that I could bring them out with a different group of people and but at, if you at did a later feel point, and way. I have more things to... If yes, you did feel that way about a game... Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. Right. It's gone. Absolutely. 100%. Dude, that was really that was really really so
1: but so food chain magnet interesting yeah so in this context yes okay do you want to do you want to do do the review thing before we yeah. kind of get in get into it or well let's
0: we can talk about that in terms of of uh, uh, of flow for uh, for sure we can talk about that in terms of fun why is it fun is it is it fun all that sort of stuff let's get into it let's get into the review uh, food chain magnate the catch-up mechanism and other ideas is designed by Jeroen Duman and Joris Wiersinger. It has it plays from two to six players now for sadists. Right. It plays 120 to 240 minutes. If you're playing with six players, I would leave about 1,000 minutes. <laughs> its weight is 4.5. Heavy, heavy, heavy. And... Do I need to tell anyone on this podcast that it is uh, published by Splatter? I don't think I do. Splatter Spielen is the is the publisher. Um, so the original food chain magnate was probably the biggest hit that Splatter ever had. They are a small Dutch publisher that makes a game every other year or something along those lines. Um, and their yeah, games even yeah yeah and and their games are amazingly sort of handcrafted and and boutique the thought out in a way that is different than every other game they don't all of the things that when you sit down and play a euro you can almost immediately identify these five characteristics of this particular game and feel like you've got you know once once you have the vocabulary of euros feel like you've got your foot you know your your, your foot is in the water with a splatter you have no idea
1: What have you just stepped into and gone up to your Exactly.
0: You would think, oh, well, uh, there. I think this is kind of like a worker placement thing. Oh, no, 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 no. You have never done worker placement like this, right? It's, oh, it seems like I'm I'm picking different roles here. No, 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 no. Radically different. Um, They are games which notoriously you can lose on the very first turn, and their design (laughs) point of view is this. It's a point of pride. if If you could not lose on the first turn of the game, why are you starting on the first turn of the game, <laughs> which I think is a very interesting perspective uh, of, of for game design they <laughs> They have games that that tend to explode in terms of permutations. I would think that is a very good way of 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 putting what they do. Um, Indonesia is an economic game in which you are building companies and you are you're 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 creating resources and somebody else's company is transporting those resources from the plantations to the cities. Seems as simple as pie, but it explodes because you're able to form mergers between those companies. You're able to do all kinds of uh, machinations on on, on the board and with stock value of the company and things like that that it's just... Yeah,
1: the games, I think some of the trademarks of Splatter games is that like mastery is elusive. Yes. They are... I know this sounds contradictory. They are complex in terms of their weight while being elegant. Yes. At the same time, they tend to have, when you actually look at it, rather simple mechanics with major implications that you're going to struggle to comprehend as you play the game. Yeah.
0: Uh one of my absolute favorites of all time of theirs is a game called Antiquity. In Antiquity, we are building a civilization. We have a, we start with a city on a map. And that map has got different types of territories and all of that sort of stuff. And we have a menu, much like in Food Chain. I have a menu. Mm-hmm. And when I open that menu, it tells me these 30 types of buildings that I can build, each of which has a little polyomino shape building that will go into my little right. building map. This is, this is your anxiety board. My anxiety board. Exactly. It's just 30 <laughs> different things. And guess what? Here's a ton of stuff. For one wood, I can build the woodcutter. For one wood, I could build the fisherman. For for one stone, I can build the... um the faculty of biology
1: for one, you know, and so it's, uh, the, and, and why do I want to build the faculty of biology? I don't know, it but it rare. Right,
0: it says right next to it, what it does. There's a lot. It's all very, very clear. The connections between all of those things is what it becomes unclear. It is a sandbox game in which it is quicksand. It can, it can sink you in a, in a heartbeat. And you have to figure out how to how to survive. And because it's a splotter, they put the pressure on you immediately. Everything you do causes pollution. <laughs> Everything you do causes famine.
1: And and this is kind of the emotional space of their games a lot of times. It is. So you back to our chart here, like their games are very comfortable. They're they're in anxiety. You're in anxiety a lot. Yes. Okay. Yes. You are. You are. You are. Uh I guess. I guess for you're me, you're never bored.
0: Nope, you're never bored. <laughs> you're you not. You're not bored. I mean, you're bored when you become overwhelmed, right? When you hit when anxiety. I, I think crosses. that's different. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. That they, people you go into
1: overload, which and then you emotionally check out. Correct. That's not the he, same he, thing people as bored. Express
0: boredom. that as boredom, but it's not. No, I totally agree. It's I totally agree. It's shut down. So in the original food chain magnate, uh, you would you start with a CEO. You start with a map of
1: uh, a town. We are competing. Fast food franchises. Correct. There we is a have, neighborhood mm-hmm. with houses that we are going to compete over in terms of our buying, our selling of various fast food goods. Just yes. for the basic yeah. overview of the game:
0: beer, pizza, you know, burgers, soda, that sort of thing. You have to advertise to these houses. You then have to make the goods, and you have to be able to
1: deliver them. This is so. This is not a work replacement game. It is not what we are doing. In fact, is we have a we are the CEO of a company and we are adding employees to our company as we go on and then each of those employees has powers that we trigger on our turn so that our company grows over time. You mm-hmm. Said so that's accurate. Exactly right. Exactly right. So how you build your company so this is great in terms of theme matching mechanics you literally have a org chart
0: yes that you are that, that you are managing uh, each, each turn
1: round. you are rejiggering in order to you know lay out your plan for how this round of selling fast food is going to go. So when they created the game, they believed, and and we
0: know this, they believed that there were maybe four good opening moves. They thought that the first hire that your CEO makes could be a recruiting girl, and the recruiting girl just hires another person. So then you go from hiring one person a turn to hiring two people a turn. Well, that makes sense. That's going to... Build your infrastructure very quickly, right? Getting has That has very strong material advantages that become very clear to realize. Another strategy is to build a trainer as your first guy. The trainer is going to take the employees that your CEO hires and train them up into better positions. So your uh, your rookie marketer becomes a campaign manager. Your, uh, your errand boy becomes... Becomes what? a cart operator, right? Becomes your, a truck driver. Your kitchen trainee yep. becomes a pizza chef, or a pizza cook or pizza whatever. Pizza cooked and uh, a pizza and chef. Pizza, and then a pizza yep. chef. Yep. They can all be upgraded, and some of them can be upgraded. You know, the management trainees can be turned into... You know Anything from the CFO, the the chief financial officer of the company, to a guru that can train people massively fast, to a regional manager that is going to open new branches of your restaurant, and and so on and so forth. There's a whole bunch of things that can be trained. So that's got an interesting Mm -hmm. progression to it. Whereas instead of the recruiting girl strategy where you're hiring a whole bunch of people, you are trying to hire fewer people but get them into those really high positions where their powers are much greater. They also believed that there was a strategy where you could start with a marketing trainee who puts out the very first billboard and starts the desire for goods in the game. And then they thought that there was also a strategy that would involve starting with a card operator and just making just getting some drinks and being ready to right. fulfill the so You got demand. like your
1: your your market, yeah you've got your production option. Yes. You have got kind of bigger, you've got better. You've got I'm going to advertise better. And now you have like, I'm going to produce more. So,
0: so we played this game when it first came out because we get all the splatters immediately and we play them immediately. Conservatively, we probably played it 10 times in the first two months easily, easily. And we were checking the boards because we kept like nobody who played the card operator ever did very well.
1: So I think one final explanation about the game is milestones the there's a mechanism kind of in this game it, yeah. that when you are the first to do something or tied with someone else on a turn to do something you get a reward which yes. is called a milestone, which is generally a very powerful permanent power. Sometimes it's a temporary, you get this thing type of thing, but it's kind of the thing that catapults you forward in the game. You are defined both by your org chart, but by the milestones that you've achieved. And it's often very important to be the first or tied with first on many of these milestones. So You're constantly racing yes. to to these milestones and so when tom's starting to talk about certain strategies emerging this is based upon the milestones of the original game that kind of you know explode what you're doing and you know you had these competing strategies based upon the milestones that you achieved and which were better than others
0: yes uh uh, uh, when you hire a trainer in the original game you don't have to pay salaries which means you can train your guys up to higher and higher positions the low level guys don't need salaries right they're paid out of the till yep but the higher level guys, they need to be paid five bucks a, a turn, and until you start generating a, a and you could go bankrupt
1: machine. and have to start
0: laying off employees if you did it wrong. <laughs> right in this game, you don't have to pay if you are the first person to use a trainer. Right, the uh, the person with the recruiting girl has has other advantages of a similar type. Um, it's, they're all great because of those, and they're they're all great. What we ended up finding out was that. We quickly came to the solution that, or the realization that there are probably only two really effective starting strategies in the original food chain magnate, and that was recruiting girl and trainer. That the marketing trainee did not really work, came close in a few instances, but never quite got there. Mm-hmm. And the Aaron boy was a, was pretty much a was pretty much a non-starter. Um, the <laughs> designers of the, the yes. designers of the game were like, no, 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 marketing strategy can work. Marketing strategy can work they they i believe they honestly thought that that was that was a perfectly valid strategy and i bet you in their play tests they made it work and they're expert players the problem is is that we've got tons and tons of people that are playing this game now and they've done so many you can't play
1: test enough to know no like, never, you, never, never 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 yeah
0: um so it came down to two strategies and even that is somewhat in question in the last world board gaming championship uh, seven out of eight of the finalists, won with uh, the recruiting girl right and and not that so a so long this stuff com- was
1: not only scripted, yes, like that like you can explore the space, but ultimately you're gonna kind of come down to three or four really paths to go, really, then it looked like okay, there's only two, and now we learned okay, in fact there's only one, which is only to
0: say the very first move of the game. <laughs> Right. It's like, sure. How many how many times in chess is the king's pawn not your opener in one way or another? But
1: this is a problem, right? Because that's not like you're not maintaining flow if the game feels solved.
0: Yes. Yes. That said, it's only it's only solved in that first turn. The permutations of the game become vast, very, very
1: quickly. Sure, but certainly, the, if if you if the right move is always to go recruiting yes. girl first, you by, just narrowed the... by the, By their own definition,
0: why start the game there? Mm-hmm. Right? Their own definition is why start the game this round? If, you know, everyone should start with a recruiting girl if that is the de facto strategy, right? Yep. And by the way, we don't know. We know that, that the, current thinking, yeah. the current thinking of the game yeah. is that that is the best strategy. And I would
1: strategy. say also like 99% of the people that are going to play this game are not going to be able to kind of like run that uh you know perfect script anyway
0: oh if you're if you're playing with people that have played this game less than 20 times you can win with the marketing strategy in the beginning of the game you can win with all sorts of things it's only when you start getting really good that that this starts to come into play but these guys so these guys were releasing this game in a lot of different places and they being the creative guys that they are They came up with some very cute ideas so south korea has got a great gaming culture right lots of board gaming cafes there's they they sell a lot of games there so they put out a game in which kimchi was an item Mm -hmm. and a kimchi chef was a a a person a kimchi maker uh, was a item in that game when they did it for japan they had sushi when they did it for china they had noodles and so they decided when they were going to put the, put out an expansion, which they've only done. This when is only when they did this. it for
1: Seattle. They added coffee. <laughs> yes,
0: <sir. laughs> there is coffee. There is coffee. There is coffee in the game. They decided to put out an expansion for this game. I believe it's only the second expansion they've ever done. Hmm. They did etc., which was an expansion for roads, roads and, and boats. boats yeah, I think this is the only. This is only the second one that they've ever done. They started by saying, okay, well, let's take all of these cool expansions that we had for these other games and put them in, and let's figure out what we want to do with this game. How do we want to add the longevity to this game that we want it to have? Because, by the way, I would play basic food chain without the ketchup expansion. I would play it almost any. You say, let's put this on the table. Yeah. I will be a vote for yes every single time mm-hmm. and twice on Sunday. I, I absolutely love it just the, just the way it is. But these guys are perfectionists. They said, let's just change the milestones. And it turns out that if you just change the reward system in the game, if you just change what you get for being the first person to do A and what you get for being the first person to do B, you change everything.
1: You really do change everything. And these weren't just little tweaks. No. Either. They kind of started from scratch almost on on most of these, right? They replaced Felt all of, they me. replaced all
0: of them. Yeah. They replaced all of them. It used to be that the first drink that was made would get a certain reward. Now, it is the first drink sold, but it's not just the first drink sold. It's the first soda sold gets one reward, the first lemonade sold gets a different reward. The first beer sold gets a third type of reward, which means that there are now within that within that making drinks and selling drinks strategy, you don't get anything for just making drinks. Anybody can make drinks, but it's it's finding a marketing and selling them. Each one of them is kind of a different strategy, and the game is sort of designed so that almost nobody is going to be able to get all three of these. You're going to have to mm-hmm. pick and choose. You're right. going to have to. It's a, it's a real calculation that goes in there. Another example is the, the 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 pizza and the burgers it used to be the first pizza you make the first beer yep. the, the first burger you make now it's the ones
1: that you sell that and even then the the rewards are different the rewards are considered so what different. so what tom is is saying is like those scripts that we were talking about mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> they just got completely blown up they're gone if you play with the expansion yeah they're gone and it's a whole new space Yes, it's a it's a whole new. So, when we think about this expansion, there are three major elements: new milestones. Yes, that's major. Yep, whole new game, very interesting. That's that's the the game, by the way. That that is the major change is the new milestones. So that's one. Yep. Two is all of these kind of crazy uh, expansions that you can pick and choose entirely in terms of what you use mm. and don't use. Yep. In them, you can play with all of them. You can play with none of them we our first game playing this we didn't play with any of them we just played milestones yep and then the third element in, uh, which gives the expansion its name is the catch up mechanism yes. itself
0: which was a reaction to people who said uh, you know what it, it, this this game devolves into runaway leader far too quickly And to which they said okay
1: we're going <laughs> to which they said
0: we have to yeah. put, we have to put in a catch up <laughs> mechanism what are we going to put in a, what what are we going to call our catch up mechanism oh the catch up mechanism right which is interesting, it's which, which I might have a problem with, actually. But, uh, having, sure, having well, you're played... trying to play the game competitively. No, no, no. I, I mean, literally because of the way I've, se- I've seen what, Have it. we I've even really it tried out. it? Oh, yeah. Okay, you tried it. You oh, tried yeah. it. I
1: see, I haven't played a game with the catch-up mechanism yet.
0: Yes, yes. I've, done a, I've had two games with the catch-up mechanism. And I'm, so what offends you about it? I'm notifying so a So tell, tell people what it is. Um, so the catch-up mechanism is a mechanism in which the first player to market a good that somebody else delivers instead of them... In other words, they cannibalize the thing that you marketed. Mm -hmm. You are going to get a... (laughs) That's my house. You're going to get a a milestone. Mm -hmm. And that milestone is minus one distance. Distance is a very important thing in this game. If Trey's business is two squares away from the house he wants to deliver to, and my business is only one square away from the house he wants to deliver to, We both can deliver to that house. We both have the things that that house is asking for. And we both have the same pricing. They're going to always pick my house. I'm going to get the delivery because they don't want to drive so far. They want to drive the shorter distance. In order for Trey to be competitive with me, he's going to have to lower his prices. And for every dollar he lowers his price, it essentially subtracts one from the distance calculation there. So having a permanent minus one distance is is a very big deal significant advantage it
1: is it is a significant advantage and this is what tom's describing this this is kind of like the game yes like we're we're competing to market i mean not not just market but sell our goods to houses that have a certain demand that we've determined with our marketing campaigns and like how far away you are from something and what it is priced this is the decision space of the game marketing is, is something that happens at the end of a round and
0: you can market with a low-level marketer is going to put up a billboard, and a billboard markets to every house that it touches, that it physically touches. A next-level marketer does a uh, mailbox campaign where they're doing direct mail, and every house that doesn't cross a street, every house that is sort of in the same neighborhood gets marketed to that way. Uh, there's planes that market yeah, across th- the board.
1: This is all... you know, Like I think Jesse was kind of talking about it a little bit in, in, in immersion. Mm-hmm. Some, like the the mechanisms in terms of like modeling this wacky fast food competition between multiple companies here they're really amazing for how much they engage with like like we're, we're actually running marketing campaigns with our fast food things we have org charts we're having to decide what products and what we price them at and we're getting into price wars I with mar- each other over our burgers that we have to deliver to apartment buildings i mean it's an incredible marriage of mechanism and theme.
0: I am marketing something to your houses that I know you can't produce just so you can't deliver to those houses. There's all sorts of, of, of skullduggery going on. But let's get back to the point. The point is is that in the initial game, we figured out that there were really mainly two strategies, right? In this game, there's for sure, we can, we can verify there is a third strategy. The reward for being the first person to market goods is huge, is a really big deal. I have played it now, I've played uh, I think I've played basically two times each. I've played two times as doing a marketing first strategy, two times as a trainer first strategy, and two times as a recruiting girl strategy, and they are all totally viable, very interesting, and they ramp up a lot faster. Even the recruiting girl, which was already the strongest thing, the reward for starting with the recruiting girl, the milestone you get for that is you get an executive vice president that you don't have to pay for. That means 10 slots that that person has underneath them. 10, they can have 10 employees under them, which is a real problem for the, for the recruiting girl because what the recruiting girl wants to do is hire a whole bunch of people and expanding your company so that you have enough uh, space slots that, you know, executives that can supervise these people is a really important thing. The trainer, when you do a trainer for the first time now in this game, you get another trainer. So right away, you're you're getting two trainers that can train more and more people faster and faster and faster. And the marketing strategy is diabolical. When you are the first marketer, you get a bunch of things. First of all, you get this thing where every good you market for the rest of the game, just marketing that good, you get five bucks. Right. For every house that you market to that gets one of those goods on it, you get five bucks. Second benefit, minus two distance. Not minus one distance, minus two distance. Suddenly, this is not a very big map for this game. Mm -hmm. Minus two distance means uh, like a third, half of the map. Yeah you can suddenly leap forward ahead and you, you're basically delivering, you're undercutting people. People have to price war you. to respond you. to that, yeah. People have to price war you to even be in, be in, in the conversation. Uh, and the other thing is is that you're going to start off immediately with a kitchen trainee and with an errand boy. So you're already making a burger, a pizza, and a soda or whatever or whatever drink that you want to make, which is important because being the first one to market, you also want to be the person that can sell that good.
1: okay, so for me, yes, these new milestones completely make the new game totally worth playing. It's a very exciting new space to explore. I wonder, like over time, is it gonna kind of get mapped out the way the previous one did? I don't know, Maybe. but that's going to be a fun journey to find out for a lot of players that want to want to get into it. So, like, it's especially if you played the first one; it's definitely worth uh, coming back to the second. So, negatives about this game, Tom? Do you do you have any, or are you you all in?
0: Okay, I'm going to say the only things that are negative to me, which is really few, because I love this game. I will say that the catch-up mechanism is such that uh, getting an extra minus one distance is pretty key, but it tends to go to the first marketer because the first marketer is putting out those billboards, and if anybody can ever deliver to one of those homes, then the first marketer ends up being the person that gets a minus two distance, and then they also are the ones that get that extra minus one distance, which can be a problem. Might be a problem in 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 the game that I've noticed. Um, the other thing is is that the, the the expansions, the coffee, the kimchi, the sushi, the noodles, the ketchup, the fries, all of these They're things. Fries?
1: Fries? I didn't know about the fries? Yes. I didn't know about the fries.
0: Yes, fries are in the game. This is not an expansion where you throw everything in. Mm-hmm. It is. I kind of want to talk about all of them. I'm not sure I have the time to talk you about. You
1: You didn't. Let me answer that question for you. So, if we're going to go to our local convention and they're going to have a food chain magnate tournament, yes. What rules are they using?
0: They're going to have to choose a set of r- rules to play by. Probably they use the new milestones and a, a couple of the other
1: cards. So you like the rules don't have what like the official tournament version.
0: Well, there is there is a recommended setups there's a list of like mm-hmm. four or five different take like i imagine like the set. world
1: board game championships will come up with this or of whatever. course yeah. but it's not clear no like we kind of struggle with that when we kind of 1st were looking at this thing it's kind of like what are we supposed to play here like there's there's so many options that it can kind of be overwhelming which is a familiar experience with anything splatter right
0: we yes i i, I played a game in which we played with kimchi sushi and noodles it went very well it was fantastic uh, played a game where we did coffee, the night shift manager, the mass marketer, and the rural marketer, and that went that went quite well too. So. You can take a bunch of these things because some of these are just a single card. Yeah, some of these extensions uh, you, you are. But you, add to, you this have to know the game card.
1: pretty well to be in, begin making those decisions about let's try yes. this, let's this time, let's do that. And your,
0: your first time playing this game, just play with the milestones. Do not add any of the new elements first, and then add them in as they go.
1: Because I, I have to say,
0: they are good. They are really, really good. Um, kimchi circumvents the whole. Uh, the person who is the closest is the person is the restaurant they 'll go to in that in that a person that makes kimchi, everybody wants to go to the restaurant with kimchi so it, as long as you have kimchi you 're going to jump to the top of the leaderboard as far as that goes. Sushi is a good that only the fancy places want. The houses that have gardens all want sushi, and the houses without gardens do not want sushi. So it creates a really interesting change in dynamic there. Noodles, nobody wants noodles. But if a house can't be delivered to by anybody, they will take noodles. And noodles you can make in mass. You can make a huge amount of noodles. So we played a game where, where noodle strategy became a thing. If you are marketing enough things to a lot of houses that there's four or five houses where nobody can deliver to it because they want s- such a combination of goods that nobody can
1: deliver that all of a sudden noodles becomes an option. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm hearing you're saying is like the, the permutations of this game are so large and all of these different permut- are exciting. Yes. Like this is an exciting decision space for you that you are having a great time exploring. Yes. Okay. So you're, you're over the hump. I'm definitely. You are over the hump with this game because negatives is that there's a big hump. This game is a is a tough thing to learn. Yes, like uh, take the weight of this game seriously. It is a it is a four point five. Do not make any of your friends play this. Like don't just trot this game out. No, um, the, 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 people need t- to watch the video. They need to. Yeah, they probably need to watch it ahead of time, and they need to be emotionally um, ready to exist in a state of anxiety for quite a while in in learning this and if that's fine with people and they're and they bought in then you're in in good shape uh because this game can be deeply unpleasant for some some people uh the nature of the milestones means that like you know it like some of the other games like trismegistus like there can be almost like an exponential growth in this game, and that means that you're hitting your right milestones at the right time. You're kind of winning a certain number of races. You fall off the pace in this game. You you are in a bad place. You,
0: you know you could be in situations where you are you are creating making burgers, and then you find out, oh, I can't deliver any of these burgers. Not a single. I'm throwing, one. Them, I'm throwing them all out because somebody did this thing that I wasn't taking into account. And then when you take that into account. You then try to deliver your burgers, and oh, they did this other thing that now means I can't deliver my my burgers. There, there's so there,
1: that right, and that's a lot of layers. That's to it. not fun, and I think it that, that playing most, this sure. playing this game, I think it's it's uh, it's highly likely when you play this game that at least one person on your group is not going to have fun. Like this is an intensely competitive game. Um, It's not zero sum, but like there's there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of racing. And people are going to lose those races, both in terms of milestones, but in terms of being able to sell your stuff. And so, it's just it's likely that some people are not going to have a good time. And even then, like like the the space that Tom's exploring with the various strategies, that's kind of like when things are working. When you fall off the pace in this game, you may not be exploring any space at, at all because you feel like I can't do anything. So, like for example, Tom Vassell recently did a first impressions of of this game, which is an odd thing because he just did the first impressions of a game that's been out for years. It wasn't even the catch up expansion, but like, it was clear listening to him. He didn't get over the hump. No. Um, and he had, a, he had a negative experience. And I think a lot of people, um, are, and he described in fact that his final turn of the game, like he wasn't able to do anything. So just know that that is the nature of splatters in general. And this one specifically is that, this like this is rare fried air when it when it comes to yeah. games. This is you know, this is for people that have a lot of games under their belt elsewhere and are also kind of just But let's put this ready to hit have the game
0: hit you in the face a little is bit. Is it that much different than a game like Gaia Project? Gaia Project if you yeah. it, I don't think it really is. Yeah. I think I think in Gaia Project your your first play if you don't know what you're doing and the other people do, you are you are lost at sea. You can come in last by a long margin. Yeah, yeah. You this be- this feels
1: more painful to me. But that said, this is a great game. Gaia Project is a great game. Yeah. These are both these are both games that I that this we would say theme might, this theme might be more interesting
0: to to some gamers than than that. In that you're you know you're hiring people, you're putting together your corporate structure. There's 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 it's an interesting
1: space even if you're not doing well at it. You can get trapped in this game, sure, and have not fun. Absolutely, and true. I think. And maybe I'm maybe I'm being um, unfair here. Like there really is an op- like you hear the excitement in Tom's voice. I think a lot of it's a, our group have, it's have played this game. It's amazing and appreciated this game. Oh my god! I'm not sure I really want to play this game anymore. Oh, it's the best game. I, I think Tom may be alone in like definitely not alone. You're not alone, but I'm not sure anybody else is like. Oh, I just really want to play Food Chain Magnate over and over again did Ben want to is yes Ben liked it oh Ben loves it he's pretty smart Maddie loves it
0: Alfred loves is it Maddie
1: actually played it that much
0: Alfred loves it it's
1: a great game it's amazing I'm not sure you're objective about this
0: I'm, I, I listen I may not be but uh, listen you guys have you guys have heard me drone on about this game and that game for a long time you know my tastes I'm not I'm not yeah. I'm not afraid to this jump is a big, into big I'm not afraid up to jump in the, into the deep it's just end just caveats yeah, I, I, I agree. This is, this is definitely not a game for everybody. This is a game that does not, that, uh, that does not have airbags.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: there is that's, a, there, a,
1: that's a feature, not a bug. That's right.
0: This game does not have airbags. Even a game like Gaia Project has a little bit of airbags. There's, yeah. there's, there's the, the constraints of the game, the constraints of the system are such that there's only so far you can go astray that eventually the actions of the game are going to yield some fruit. In this game, you could yield no fruit. Um, I highly recommend that if there is a person that is teaching this game, for the first game to, as much as possible, to be sort of walking through people, walking them through a, a sort of thought process as to what the next step might be. What the next thing? What are What are you gonna hire next? You know who are you gonna Who are you gonna hire? Why are you gonna do that? What is your What's your road to profitability? In that sense, it's not that different than a Martin Wallace game in some ways. In that, uh, it is a brutal economic game in which you could make no money over the course of the entire game if you can't If you can't catch up with where the money is flowing and how the money
1: is and how the money is going. Uh, it is definitely possible. Yeah, impossible. I mean, I, Martin Wallace games, which we've described as brutal, unforgiving economic mm-hmm. engines, I think ultimately are far easier to understand. And I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. Like, the, the strength of Splatter, like, my appreciation for Splatter is incredibly high because the lessons of the game are often elusive. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. These kind of decision spaces that they create that continue to, you know, surprise and reward different types of play... That's very hard to achieve and they really do, you know, deserve some recognition. But it's also like that's a for me, I think that's probably a much narrower group of players that can appreciate that. And you got to got to find those. In I play and
0: yeah. Listen, if you can play on Mars, you can play Food Chain Magnate. If you can play Gaia Project, you can play Food Chain Magnate. You should try it. You should absolutely try it. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful game. There are a bunch of spotters that are absolutely amazing games and, and way in, in my top list. Um, but yeah, what Trey's is saying is absolutely right. Beware bringing new players that are more medium weight gamers into it. It might be deceptive. The game might look quite simple. It might look like it's you know kind of a walk in the park. The theme is friendly. The artwork is friendly. It does not appear to be too involved. You read the rules, and they seem fairly straightforward. It is the intersection of those rules with the strategies that emerge from them that become uh, crazy, absolutely crazy. Trey, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, thank you for popping my balloon
1: a little bit and, and uh, bringing <laughs> things back so. down to. Uh, <laughs> we're just getting. We're just getting to what the the game is like. I think if you looked at. Like all the plays of this game, you would have a very high percentage of people that had a negative experience. That doesn't mean it's not a good game. I don't think that's true.
0: I mean, certainly looking at the reviews, that's not true. Tom Vassell did. Okay, that's well, we we uh, listen. I I think that uh, I think that he gave a review when he said he was going to give a first impression. Uh, I think that was a I think that was a mistake, Tom. But uh, you know, you don't need to hear from me. Uh, Tom Vassell gets a lot of uh, a, a lot of slack from me because uh, i would not have half of the games in my collection if it were not for tom Vassell and for him playing everything and or well clearly not everything but playing a lot of games and uh, and leading me into this hobby and a lot of people know this hobby so there you go let's take a few game sommeliers since we didn't get to last week sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay which game should go? Which to play with Mamma, my Madame, my my Abu? You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far with my fiftieth play of Agricola A million games, show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. Our first game sommelier question is from Campton Yanaga. Camden said, good morning. I just wanted to tell you that I really enjoyed the podcast. Probably my favorite gaming podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, Also had the privilege of adopting our two-and-a-half-year-old son and our uh, 22-year-old and our seven-year-old daughter was born last May. Holy cow, Camden. Congratulations. That is amazing. So let me just say, I emphasize very strongly with Maddie's gaming hiatus. (laughs) The reason I'm reaching out is we're planning on attending our first Strategic Con next month. That is the local Los Angeles gaming convention. We'll be there. And was wondering if you had any advice for how we should get the most out of it. We're planning to be attending Saturday only i going to be participating in the math trade, but aside from that, we have no set plans. Since we usually play two-player games, our main goal is to try some games we're wanting to play that need more players than two. Ideally, games like Root and Dune. We're also big fans of Battlestar Galactica, the board game, which works best at five. I I guess I don't dispute that. Any recommendations on the best way to make this happen and any other general advice? Camden. Yeah, okay, so let's talk about this in terms of—so this is very specific to L.A., But I think that, you know, Trey, you and I have been to many, many game conventions and they probably have more similarities than they have differences for the most part. Sure. Um, So Street Strategicon is at the LAX Hyatt. And when you go in there, you are going to have a big open area where there's a lot of people milling about. And you go back and then all of a sudden there's all these gaming tables and there's, tournaments and competitions and going mm-hmm. on that's not where you want to play that's not that's where you want to play a game if you want there to be if you want to play in a tournament if you already know a game very well and want to play in a tournament for that game that's where you go for the tournaments that's also where you go for a game that is going to be demoed mm-hmm. by the designers of uh, those games so so newer games that have yeah, designed, these are literally on different floors correct and in general in most conventions you go down into the basement you go down <laughs> you, you go into the the back. follow the smell yes you go into the back annex you know if you you know you make a left past the dumpsters and then you find the open gaming area the open gaming area is where you will find game brain the opening area uh, the open gaming area is where you're going to find the people that bring their own games Set them up, play them with their friends, and oftentimes are looking for uh, for another player or two or, or three from time to time to play. That's where the game, kind of games we're talking about, like you probably won't find Dune in the big main gaming gaming area. You might. There might be a Dune tournament at one point, right. but that's going to be a tournament. That's going to be a, a a different group of people that are that are playing that particular game. Root, you might. Ruth, there's a good chance you're gonna find that in the in the main game area. But they tend to be like We've gone to
1: this convention for years, so our behavior has changed over time. Mm -hmm. I certainly used to do a lot more of the tournaments. Mm Um, And I think the advantage of the tournaments is like if you know you want to play a specific game like say you've played one of these games two player a lot and now you want to play it four. I would say like look at the schedule it'll be online and it would be fine absolutely fine for you to go and play that tournament you're going to get you know at least one game out of it and that might be like the advantage would just be you can schedule the game you want to play by playing in the tournament.
0: Like yes. that would that would be the That's true. the advantage. Uh, pre-reg by the way. Uh, sign up for the sign up for the convention S- ahead of time. Save money. Save money because it's cheaper and um, it's
1: quicker sign in when you get there too. You waste a lot less time if you've pre-regged.
0: And there are a bunch of board games the ones that are scheduled. Not the open gaming things, mm-hmm. but the the ones if you see a scheduled game that is going on at this point of time, and some of them will say demo or intro or you know with the teacher or so someone and so forth, and that's a game that's interesting to you, uh, if you pre reg you can sign up online in a lot of these gaming conventions and yep. you certainly can at strategic on. there's they, they hold a few slots for people that sign up early and sign up online and so that's a great way to make sure that you
1: get into that game which otherwise can sometimes be a problem yeah so if you go down to open gaming um a find us be great yes. be, and um you know it'd be great if we we could all play a game together that we will certainly do do our best to do that. My advice would also be like open gaming can be a little bit intimidating because you're just going to see the sea of people. Yes. And you're going to be kind of wandering around, like maybe even hard to find a table. Uh, This is a time to kind of get over any shyness of you have, you know, it's fine to sit down, take out a board game, put the box up Kind of so that people know I want to play Dune or I want to do something like that. And a lot of times they'll have little uh, little flags
0: that you can put on your table yeah. saying players wanted. Yeah. Which is a good this thing. It's a real
1: BGG con type of thing, but it. it's good. But you, you do need, to, like, it can be intimidating. You do need to kind of be willing to say, hey, are you guys starting this? And insinuate your way into games. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Like, the open gaming is absolutely, like, sometimes people will be a little bit clickish, but, you know. If they're not playing a train game... <laughs> Yes, generally you. generally <laughs> do you do can walk touch. right you can walk right up to them and talk <laughs> to
0: them and everything will be fine. If you walk up to a train gamer, <laughs> empire beware. Yeah. Uh no, in gamers tend to be among the the friendliest people that that you will find. You're, you know, it, it, but In, this is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Is no. to
1: is to is just to start up a new game with new players. Like it, sometimes it does have to be like, okay, you guys have forty five minutes after this. Well, let's try to play Dune after that. Is anybody interested? Like you do have to kind of do a little scheduling skin. and such. Yes, exactly. And if you don't know anybody, that's that's tough. But this is you know, like we've made new friends at conventions all the time. So yeah. we,
0: and we'll and we'll try and uh, we'll, we'll try and like if you come and find us, we will wear our Game Brain shirts. Yeah. Uh, we would be happy to see you there. And w- when you say, you know, we if you find us and we're in the middle of a game, we'll give you a rough estimate of when we'll be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll figure out a time where we can hopefully play a, a game with you. Uh, yeah, I-, I highly recommend that. I highly recommend trying the you know, going to the big area, looking at the games that are scheduled, seeing if there's any you want to play and sign up for those and then go down into open gaming when there's not a game that you're dying to play upstairs. Find your open gaming area at whatever convention you are at because that's where people bring a lot of a lot of these types of games. You're not gonna most of your open gaming areas, they're going to be playing tapestry, they're going to be playing playing Race Arcana, they're going to be playing race for the galaxy katan Cat- they're going to be playing all of those games they probably will not be playing on mars in these in, in these sorts of places those heavier meatier deeper It'd take a ton of time. games are are, are, are tougher for so if you're coming be
1: saturday only also you probably want to get there pretty early parking at this convention can be a real pain yes uh, it can take a lot of time and it can also fill up so i would yeah. say do do get there early, or else you, you it can be problematic later on.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that um, you know, gamers don't wake up super early for the most part, but generally, you know, ten o'clock or so. Uh, most mo- a lot of players will be starting a game around ten.
1: The nightmare is like you get there at ten, and they already have the sign up that says parking is full, and you say, "Well, what am I supposed to do now?" Right there is the parking spot right next door where you can
0: yeah. where, where you can park. So that's that's an option. But it's to- not the easiest con to get in and out yes. of. And Trey and I have a secret place to park that we will not tell you about because we don't want to be responsible for liability because it's very scary. It is scary. It's a scary place. <laughs> it is very scary. Near uh, the airport. Next question from Surend. Uh My friend has a 15 year old son who likes Axis and Allies, Risk
1: and Nuclear War. Nuclear War? <laughs> okay, so clearly there's an older gamer. Flying Buffalo. Who, Flying Buffalo has had this sitting on a shelf for yes. 35 years. He
0: asked what else he should check out. He tends to play with a group of four to six, and they play for six to seven hours at a time and like high interaction. I suggested Root, but I was thinking they might like. Twilight Imperium Four, you sadist! I've been—I've <laughs> never played it though. Anyone have any ideas? Yes, we do have some ideas. Uh, Eclipse is a great, great game that fits every single checkbox that you've just described. Um, that that fifteen-year-old boy and his group—if they can get into Eclipse—they're going to have a ton of fun. They're going to absolutely love it. And the very first game I talked about on this podcast was warlord a oh god it's such a good game
1: he look he plays axis and allies risk And,
0: and nuclear war guess what this is a combination of all of those
1: eclipse is a very good recommendation um warlord they may be ready for diplomacy Ooh, that's ready to have that whole friend group just explode. <laughs> uh, in recrimination. If your
0: fifteen-year-old if, if your friend's fifteen-year-old son does not want to have friends anymore, diplomacy is absolutely good. Now, diplomacy is seven players only. They would need to have seven players and uh, and that sort of thing. But you're absolutely right. Diplomacy would be a really. I I started playing diplomacy when I was yeah, it's the right 16. age for
1: to play diplomacy, and it will change how they play every other game. So that would be my recommendation. <laughs>
0: Well, folks, we are once again uh, over the two-hour mark, so we're going to sign off. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod. We have a Facebook group that always is a fun thing. Uh, every day when I when I come on to it, there's always very interesting discussions going on. Discord channel that is heating up, and please, on either one of those, get in more of those Board Game Sommelier questions. You have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some friends with games. <laughs> go play some games with friends. Or go make some friends with games.
1: That's it. <laughs>